You open up your bag of specialty coffee. You weigh, grind, and the aroma blows your mind. Your brew goes perfectly, but uh uh-oh. What went wrong? Your water, that's what. Third Wave Water helps give that cafe-quality experience at home, unlocking all the bright flavors your coffee has to offer. Just add one stick of minerals to a gallon of distilled water to upgrade your coffee experience. Visit thirdwavewater.com and use coupon code COFFEEPODCAST for 10% off your first order. Before a coffee tree's burgundy red cherries ripen, there is a long journey of deep, unseen growth within the plant that only becomes visible with a fleeting bloom of white, fragrant as the heart flowers. Human ripening requires the same extensive and beautiful process of quiet becoming, often in the face of the unknown. What you just heard is an excerpt from Chapter 3 of the We Belong, Anthology of Colombian Women Coffee Farmers by Lucia Baywatt, our guest today. When was the last time that you sat down and thought about where you come from, your heritage? What were your grandparents like? What did they accomplish? And how did that impact your life? And how does that maybe play a role in who you are today? Lucia starts us off in this first part of our interview with her as we explore her past, um, beyond her past. In fact, we go back into the stories of her grandparents and what it meant to be coffee producers. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to learn how you can win a copy of We Belong from the Coffee Podcast partnered with Lucia Bewa. Well, welcome to the show. I want to dive a little bit into your background. I read that there's some coffee in your background, but tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get to where you are today and how does your life relate to coffee? Yeah, that's that's a, a long story and one I never thought I would be like sharing. I never thought I was going to be working in coffee. So I do have a coffee background on my mother's side of the family. I'm born and raised in Colombia in a region that is called Quindío. It's the smallest like state in Colombia. Mm. My grandparents on my mother's side, they were both coffee farmers and they grew up in farms, in coffee farms. And then they both moved to Quindío. They're from uh, other regions, so Antioquia and Caldas. My grandfather uh, became basically like a buyer and seller of green coffee or parchment coffee. And then he had like his own place where he was like selling and buying. And then he also bought a few coffee farms. But the most interesting part about his story is that he founded a coffee town in Colombia that is called Buena Vista. Hmm. So this is all I knew about him. I never got to meet him because he passed away a year before I was born. Hmm. So it was always like a fun story for me to listen to my grandmother, like share with me and my mom and all my family. It was interesting, but it never was like something that it dawned on me or I was like, oh my God, this is so interesting. And then with my grandmother, which is something really interesting, is that she was also a a coffee farmer. She used to tell me a lot of stories when she was little, picking up coffee, when she had to uh, cook for the workers in the farm, Mm. and that she had to cook for 40, 45 workers when she was 7, 10 years old. Wow. Yeah, and and she always repeat the same stories to the point that we're like, okay, can you tell us something new? (laughs) 
<laughs> and it was always about my grandfather. He was like the hero of the family uh, because he was a pretty like inspirational person. Like he was pretty open-minded and like for him, it was really important that all his daughters got educated. So I was like, so weird. He was born in 1896. Hmm. So that's why I think it's like this whole idea that my grandfather was the hero. It's been a thing in my family. Yeah. And I'm telling all of this just to like summarize it to that when I started writing We Belong and creating the content for the book, I, I realized that I basically have it never honor my grandmother. Hmm. I never thought of her as a coffee farmer. I always saw her just like as a loving grandmother. And this book really opened my eyes to see, oh my God, like she she's in fact a coffee farmer. And she embodies a lot of the things that I found in the stories of the women that I interview and photograph. So, so yeah, that's like my coffee background. And then how did I get into coffee? <laughs> so that was my background. And I knew that was part of my history. And I had like ancestors related to coffee. Mm-hmm. But in my family, like my parents had nothing to do with coffee. My mom had a transportation company in Colombia. So for us, it was all about transportation, just like cars and buses. And it was so different. <laughs> in my house, we didn't even like care so much about coffee or drinking coffee, really. Mm. Many years went by and I ended up going to Buenos Aires, Argentina to study. Mm-hmm. And when I was there, mate was my staple beverage, okay. like what I was drinking all the time. <laughs> it was all about mate, mate, mate. Yeah, it's pretty hip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's what people drink there. And for me, it was not a coffee at all. Yeah. But a year before I was about to finish my degree, Olga Cuellar, I don't know, maybe you've heard of her. She is the daughter of one of my mom's best friends and she works in coffee and she's like, she used to work for Sustainable Harvest mm-hmm. and she now she has her own company in Colombia that is called Promising Crops. So she reached out to me on Facebook and she she told me, I really like your work. At that time, I really wanted to become a fashion photographer. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. so different. <laughs> so she just reached out to me and she was like, I love your work. Uh, I would love to see if there's like a, maybe an opportunity for you to come as a volunteer, as a photographer, like a volunteer photographer mm-hmm. for Less Dot Coffee. Cool. And at this point, I didn't know anything about sustainable harvest, Let's Dot Coffee. I didn't know much about coffee. And I was like, okay, yes, let's do it. And like, that sounds fun. I was like 20 years old. I was like, yeah, that sounds really fun. So we tried two years, uh, but David, he thought I was really young. And he was like, no, I think she's really young. We have to wait a little bit more, a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. So finally, the last year of university, she reached out to me again. And she was like, let's try again. So I sent my CV my work everything and I got when the last of coffee was in El Salvador oh, okay so I ended up going to El Salvador nice. basically that's when I saw how crazy big this industry was mm. like it was the best way of seeing coffee so quick because like when you go to less coffee you basically see people from the entire supply chain mm. you see producers but then you see roasters and you see like everyone in the supply chain that's really when i saw like wow this is so interesting I, and people were so open they were so welcoming yeah i was asking a lot of questions because i didn't know anything yeah yeah i'm sure you you were learning a ton i'm curious for you in that moment just thinking back to your grandparents yeah. was it kind of this major connection point for you? Did you connect the dots? Was it revolutionary or did you just kind of like step in and go, oh, wow, this is big? Yeah, no, I I don't think I connected the dots there. Mm -hmm. It was more like, wow, there are other industries where I can pursue photography. There are other industries where there are a lot of people involved and people that are passionate. Mm -hmm. So I think for me it was that. And then I was going as a volunteer, but I was also assisting the main photographer 
which is uh, a New Yorker. Uh, his name is Clay Ennis, and he's like pretty well known because he's like the photographer for all this action movie, like Sucker Punch, oh, cool. uh, Superman. Like he's the one like creating the posters, like the photos. So at some point, I, I sat down with him and I and I asked him, I was like, hey, like you have way more experience than me. I just want to ask you for an advice. Like I'm almost done with my degree and I really don't know where to go from here. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like everyone, when they, when they're finishing their degree, they really don't know what they want to (laughs) do. It's like, everyone is so lost. It's like, so what do I do next? I spent five years learning so much, but I don't know where to go. Yeah. It's a big transition, isn't it? Yeah. So I asked him, I was like, what do you think I should do? I'm interested in fashion photography, but I really like, I would like to move to New York. Like, and I think this is the dream for a lot of photographers that I, that want to pursue fashion. And he laughed and he looked at me and then he was like, he pointed at the, uh, like at the, at the people, like we were in a conference room and there were a ton of people just sitting and he, he pointed at like the people and then he said like, here, this is your future. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, coffee, coffee industry needs creators. It needs artists. It needs people that can be the bridge yeah. to connect this beverage that people enjoy so much, but they still know so little about. They need people that are willing to tell stories. Mm-hmm. Because like, if I was you, I would pursue coffee photography. Yeah. And that was the greatest advice. So I, I went back to Argentina and I was like, well, I guess this is what I want to do. But I didn't have any photos of any, like at this point, I hadn't even been in a coffee farm in Colombia. My first time going to a coffee farm was during that event, Mm. (laughs) which is, yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. So I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? In Argentina, they don't grow coffee. So when I went to Colombia for vacations, I... I made, I made this whole strategy that I was going to visit farms and I reached out to a few of my mom's friends that I knew they had coffee farms. Mm. And I just went there and took photos. And really that's when I, when you were asking me if I was connecting the dots or like this family history, mm-hmm. I think that's when that happened. When I went to his farms and I started photographing pickers and just like seeing a farm, right? Like, and, and seeing it through my lens, that's when it really, it dawned on me. I was like, wow, this is what my grandparents used to do. Cool. And then after that, I, I worked for Sustainable Harvest for a year, <laughs> but not as a photographer. I work in like more like the logistics of the Lesto Coffee. Oh, okay. And after that, I decided to to pursue my own like freelance career. And it's been 10 years since I work in coffee and I had the opportunity to work for more than 12 leading companies in the coffee industry, cool. traveled throughout like uh, Central and South America, visited more than 600 farmers. It, it's been delightful. It's been a journey. And really, as I mentioned at the beginning, I never thought I would be telling this story that I am a documentary photographer. Never thought that was going to be my future when I was 20 uh, living in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What a story. Story from from where you were to where you ended up, and then connecting the dots, ending up in coffee. I mean, we're going to get into more of we belong here in a second. Sure. I want to ask you just two more sort of background questions. The first one is: Is the Entre Campos travel is that related to? your parents' business or how does that relate to the story? That's a great question. And this is a question I've never got asked before. So Entre Campos Travel was a tourist company I had. So after I stopped working for Sustainable Harvest, I moved back to my hometown mm-hmm. trying to figure out what to do. And then I decided to create a tourist company that facilitated trips for foreigners, most of them Americans, 
to go to Colombia, but to fully experience and immerse in the Colombian culture. Mm. So we offer like different activities, like dancing lessons and painting lessons. And they were all connected with like artisans and locals, right? And then I brought photography into the project because what we did is that we hire a photographer that will document the whole trip. Mm. So people didn't need to have their phone or bring their cameras or worry about taking photos. Yeah, what a great idea. Yeah, so I had that company, like I think for two years, then I sold the company because I wanted to pursue coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. So I didn't have enough time. And then I was like, okay, I I guess like coffee is just like pulling me more and more and I need to make a choice. Yeah. and I, and I chose coffee. <laughs> Very cool. And my last sort of silly question here is, wh- what is binaural beat? <laughs> I, mean, I was just like, what? what is this? Yeah. So, so when you are a photographer, you spend a lot of time in front of the computer. A lot of time just editing and editing and editing and editing. Mm-hmm. So one day I stumbled upon this article where they were talking about binaural beats and why it's like really a good way to get your mind to reach a certain mental state. So what it is, is like um, binaural beats um, is an illusion created by the brain. When you listen to two tones, slightly different frequencies oh, at the same time. So it's not it's not like music that is like, it's, it's not necessarily pleasant because it's just two sounds combining. Yeah. And what happens is that your brain interprets those two tones as a beat on his own. Oh. And then these two tones align with your brain waves okay. and produce a beat with a different frequency. I got to try this out. I wonder if I can like inject it into the episode somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And what it does is like your, your brain activity matches the frequency set by the frequency of the beat. And this gets you to, to reach a certain mental state. So it can be like just, uh, concentration. Mm. It it can help you with stress. It can help you like, if you want to meditate, you can listen to it, but you really need to wear headphones because you're getting two different tones. So you cannot listen it without headphones. Okay. Uh, and there are many, so there is like beta, beta, alpha, theta, like all these different sounds. And yeah, it's like a good way to, to help your brain reach a a certain mental state. I'm gonna be so embarrassed if everybody knows about this and I'm just like living under a rock. <laughs> no, 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 and and I think maybe people do listen to it, but I don't think people understand well what it is. Okay, but yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's even being used for therapy, like for mental health. Yeah, I was I was wondering about that. Okay, yeah. All right, well we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna step away from that. I want to <laughs> talk about we belong. So why did you choose the title? Ooh, <laughs> well after finishing we belong, I now realize why I named it we belong. But to be completely honest with you, that name came out of nowhere. I remember I was sitting in my parents' house in Armenia when this idea just became an idea. It was like a vision. It was like so unreal. I was like, this is not going to happen. This is going to take me years to make a book. This seems so daunting and so big. Mm. So I remember sitting, I was like, well, I guess I need to name this project to to start working on them. And, And then I was like, well... I've been feeling, since I started working in coffee, I felt like an outsider, right? Because, yes, I love coffee. The more I work in coffee, the more I wanted to learn. So I I took like barista courses, cupping courses, sustainability courses. Mm. But still, I felt like being a photographer and a a filmmaker, it was not going to grant me the key to belong into the coffee industry. Mm. Because I was just the photographer. I was not a coffee person. And that's all the comments I got and the sense I got from everyone in the industry. 
I was like, well, I guess I don't belong to coffee. And then I started looking at my portfolio, trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do? I knew I wanted to make a book, but I didn't know exactly about what. Mm -hmm. And then flipping through my portfolio, I realized I didn't have any photos where the women were the protagonists of the stories. Mm. They were in the photos. They were in the family portraits. They were in photos with their partners, but never like they were not the ones like telling the story. So I was like, oh, they feel just like me and represented, invisible. So that's when I was like, we also belong to the industry. Mm. And that's when I, I thought about this idea, we belong. But now after finishing the book, it's like even more powerful because there's this quote by Liz Foislin and she says that diversity is having a seat at a table, that inclusion is having a voice but belonging is having that voice be heard. Mm. So so I feel that's we belong. We belong is the space where finally these women, these coffee farmers and, and coffee pickers get to speak up, tell their stories, have a voice, and, and more importantly, these voices are finally being heard. Mm. So that's why the, the book is named We Belong. Nice. And you spent 20 months, I'm stealing these stats from your from your website, 20 months, 130 cups of coffee with women in, in different coffee producing regions. You hit seven coffee regions total and you set out to do it. Was was the original goal because you felt that this desire to communicate the value of this idea we belong for women in the coffee sector or did something else stir you too? Well, like I think there are many things, but there are two that, that for me, I think like really is what like the motivation. That's where the motivation was coming from. Mm -hmm. The first one was a little bit egotistical. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like all the work and my portfolio, it was not my own. Mm. It was my, my client's work. Mm -hmm. It was their vision. It was me capturing what they wanted me to capture. So I felt like this frustration throughout these years working in coffee where I was like, this work, it doesn't like represent who I am. I have things to say. I have opinions that I've been creating and like building and constructing for all this time. I want a space where I can share how I feel about the industry and in, in a more artistic way. So that was one of the biggest goals behind making a book. Mm -hmm. And the second one, as I mentioned before, I knew there were a lot of women behind our cup of coffee every morning, right? Like there were a lot of women because I've seen them. And because when you go and read all the studies, it's pretty clear that in all the coffee producing regions, women are the ones doing most of the labor at the farms, like all the coffee activities mm. on top of taking care of the children, on top of taking care of the household, cleaning the house, cooking for the workers. So, so for me, it felt like a responsibility as a Latina, as a woman. And as a person working in coffee for so long, it was my responsibility to create something where people could learn more about what was happening yeah. and people could finally see the invisibility of these women that are so important, so crucial for this industry we love so much. Mm. So I think mm. those were the two main reasons why, why I decided to, to create this book. Yeah, very cool. It's almost poetic. Your family's history in coffee, your grandfather, your grandmother... And then to sort of carry on a legacy of coffee that does something like this, highlights the women in coffee. There's just something really poetic there. I can't quite put my finger on it, but yeah, it's lovely. No, I, I, I agree with you because at the beginning I mentioned how now I recognize and I feel kind of guilty knowing that for the longest time I didn't pay attention to the stories my grandmother was telling me mm. and I didn't honor her for all this hard work she did. 
So really when I was like halfway to creating the content for the book, I remember just sitting in a cafe, just like digesting all these interviews that were so heavy and thinking, I've heard this story before. Mm. It was repetitive. Each interview, every time I was like taking notes or writing, I was like, I've heard this before. I heard this before. And it dawned on me that it was my grandmother. Mm. So so I do agree with you. It's kind of poetic. Like she kept telling me these stories. It was like, as I mentioned before, it was like kind of annoying. It was like, can you tell me something different? <laughs> yeah. But she kept telling me about what she did in the farm, that she has to carry all these heavy like baskets full of like coffee cherries, all these things. And for me, it was just like, oh, okay, mm. whatever. Yeah. But now I'm like that. This makes all the sense in the world. Like she she just knew that at some point it was going to be my responsibility mm. to become an artist and then to have this platform to give these women uplift their voices. So, so yeah, I agree with you. It's so poetic. Yeah, yeah. And, and two, at least this is true for me, I tend to talk about things like if I'm telling stories a lot, stories I really cherish or, or stories that I take a lot of pride in. And so it sounds like your grandmother must have had a lot of pride in her work. Yeah. Anyway, you took over 100,000 photos, which I, <laughs> I'm thinking for myself wouldn't be hard to do. I, you know, for me, I would just have to hold the button down, you know, and I'm not a photographer. I wouldn't know what I was doing, <laughs> but I'm sure there were these were very intentional shots, you know, trying to capture the right thing. 100,000 photos. It's a lot. Mm. I have two questions for you. One of them would be, were you nervous about losing? I mean, you're out in the coffee farms, <laughs> you're, you know, you're around. It's kind of damp. It's kind of humid sometimes. You know, I would have been nervous about that. And and then I also want to hear about your process. How did you get down to the 270 or so in the final book? <laughs> I remember telling my husband every time I came from a trip, just like, oh my God, what am I going to do with all these photos? What if I lose a hard drive? What if yeah. just the hard drive just like stops working? What am I going to do? So I had this constant anxiety of like just yeah. copying and pasting and like having folders in different like devices and in different hard drives because yes, I, I was like, what if I lose all this work? What am I going to do? Yeah. So that was definitely something in the back of my mind always. Uh, so then I put it in like a iCloud and Dropbox and still I woke up and I was like, is everything there? Did I lose anything? <laughs> so yeah, for sure. That that was like, it was really funny. Yeah. I never thought I was going to take as many photos, but I think it was also this pressure of doing something for the first time. This is my first book. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, this is my first time really seeing my work like with a narrative, right? Because I always take photos and then clients use it as they please. But I never took the time to see my work and try to create a narrative. Mm. And that was tough. It was really tough. So so I think it was also this pressure of like not knowing if I was taking enough photos or if the photos were worth publishing. Yeah. So I think I, I overtook photos because of that anxiety of not knowing what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. But I think like you have to take action and then try things and learn in the process. And, and I think that's the beauty of creating something for the first time. You don't know anything. But once you're done, you realize how much you learn and how clear things become to you. It's like, oh, now I know how to make a book and I can make it better. Mm. So for me, that's the greatest gift I, can, I got from this, from publishing this book. And then in your question regarding how did I choose the photos? I think before I talk, how do I choose the photos is how did I choose the stories? Mm, okay. Because I visited 62 coffee farmers and coffee pickers, but only 25 made it to the book. Mm. And this 
this was something that I was pretty like honest and clear in every visit. I told them I'm making a book. I still don't know how I'm going to structure it, but I'm sure that not all the stories are going to make it into the book. So they all knew this. Mm -hmm. I do have like two, like a full spread where I have a lot of Polaroids of the women that didn't made it into the book. Mm -hmm. They were not showcased and they don't have their story, but at least to have like that photo there to say you were part of this, right? Yeah. So that, that was the first thing. So choosing the 25 stories was really tough. And how I chose those stories is I went through a process of just having everything on my wall. And it's important to clarify that I was in Colombia. I was traveling constantly and I was moving with my husband every one to two months to a different city. Mm. So we were on the move while I was making this book, what I was trying to not only create the content, but structure the book. So I was traveling with all these like post-it notes and <laughs> little photos and every apartment we live in. I put everything on the wall and I start just seeing, okay, these two have similar stories. This one is so different. This one is really important to tell. So that was the first approach. Mm. And then little by little, I started seeing like common topics or common issues. So there were a lot of like human, like my, my project is a lot about human exploration mm. rather than just like coffee farmers and their stories and growing coffee. No, it's about who these women really are and what they've been through and how did they made it to this point in their lives. Mm. So I started realizing like there were a lot of stories about childhood. There were a lot of stories about like human flourishing and resilience. Uh, there were a lot of stories about like domestic abuse, sadly. Mm. So I started just grouping those women and grouping them. And then I was like, okay, one of these women is the one that represents this topic the best and that's how I chose the 25 and then it came the moment when I had to choose the photos for the book and this is where I really leverage and work side by side with my teams Mm -hmm. and this is something I I haven't gotten the chance to talk about more uh, or enough this book became the wonderful book it is thanks to my team so my editor is Jen Rugulo she's the editor of 25 magazine from the specialty coffee Mm. association Mm -hmm. and I feel so honored that I got to work with her because I admire her so much she has a lot of experience she has the kindness so she was like really really helpful because I was writing this book in English and English is not my first language Mm. and it was my first time writing a a book it was my first time like (laughs) sitting down and writing uh, I had a like I felt like a lot of pressure yeah. and then my editorial designer and curator is uh, Scott Bentley he's the owner of caffeine magazine mm-hmm. so with the help of these two wonderful people they help me like filter all the content and it's pretty funny because when I think about what was the toughest part of designing the book it was definitely choosing the photos and it was like a back and forth like conversation almost a fight <laughs> <laughs> for a photo it's like no I want that photo to be there and he'll tell me no Lucia that photo is not bringing any value to the narrative (laughs) or this photo is not gonna work or we don't need only the good photos we also need photos that are not so interesting to the eye but it's a a good way to help the reader just breathe Mm, interesting yeah when you think about you want the best work in the in in your first book you want the best photos there and and it's kind of this like I want to feel proud and I want to show people that I'm a good photographer yeah but you have to think about the process of 
of reading a book. Interesting. And reading yeah. it with your eyes and how your brain processes images. So you cannot have only great photos. You need some photos that maybe don't have a lot of information, that are darker, that have a lot of like space so your brain can rest and then you can keep moving. Mm. So definitely like he helped me a lot with that. A lot of fights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really curious to see the photos side by side, like the photos that you're like, no, this one. That would be such a cool little like side or backstory, right? Yeah. It'd be pretty neat. And I was at some point I realized like, don't stress too much about putting all the photos that you want there. Of course, like making a book is like you, you have like, it's your baby and, and you want to have full control of this baby and how it's going to look. But you also have to realize that it's important to have a team that is diverse because they have all is another set of eyes mm -hmm. that will give you great insight because I didn't know who was going to buy the book. I didn't know who was going to read the book. So it's important to have all these different perspectives. Yeah. And also knowing that there are always going to be new platforms and spaces where I can showcase content that didn't make it into the book. Yeah. So you have to just relax and trust your team, uh, trust your God as well. If you have to fight for a photo because you know you want that photo there and it's important to you, mm -hmm. fight for it as well. Yeah. It's like a battle. Yeah, that makes sense. That's cool. It's cool to hear the process. I've never heard too much behind the scenes. I mean, the really interesting thing to me about this project is the interviews, the storytelling, and the photography just all coming together. What a neat project. Thank you. <laughs> I find that in my own youth, I forget to reflect and appreciate with any kind of gravity the people who came before me. There have been so many who have had an influence on my life, many whom I've never even gotten to speak to. I love how Lucia's story weaves in and almost takes her back to a place where she can appreciate the stories of her grandparents and beyond appreciate those stories have an impact in the lives of producers today. I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that we will be giving away a copy of We Belong to One Lucky Coffee Podcast listener, and this is how we will be doing the giveaway. If you want to participate, you need to go to thecoffeepodcast.com and subscribe to the Bruise Letter. That's a newsletter with a B, like bruise, because we're, you know, funny over here. And once you subscribe, wait for the email about the giveaway. We will only be hosting giveaways to Bruise Letter subscribers because those are what we consider our listeners who are the most engaged. Um, it's also the place where you can engage us the most. The way to participate is to subscribe to the Bruise Letter and wait for the follow-up sweepstakes kind of announcement email. Now, there is one caveat. We will only be doing this giveaway for U.S. listeners this time around due to a limitation in shipping. But don't let that stop you because we want to provide you with valuable stuff in that bruise letter, uh, no matter where you are. Well, that about does it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, and until next time, happy brewing. <laughs>